You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. What I said was, we're going to win with what we got here. And what I said, if somebody is saying that we need help, they're not White Sox fans because they don't know. They're out there trying to make us spend money we shouldn't make or make it just from what we got here. From day one to now, have I ever been disrespectful to White Sox fans? Have I bragged about who they are? And they support again? I've never. So, I mean, for somebody to take what I said to mean like I'm demeaning a White Sox fan, that's, that's got to be correct. They got to know that the opposite is true. And after all that drama this week, it turns out the White Sox were just setting us up for an elaborate April Fool's joke payoff. As it turns out, they did want to get another outfielder, and A.J. Pollock comes over from the Dodgers for Craig Kimbrell in an April 1st deal. Listen, some of you might have heard the original show that came out for the first 10 hours released on April 1st from Sox in the Basement. It was an elaborate ruse, an April Fool's joke of our own, trying to make it seem like Rick Hahn was on the show, only to tell you, no, he isn't, and then having just our regular 30 minutes of socks for fans by fans. Rick Hahn, though, gets the last laugh by making a deal that we've all been hoping for, just not one we expected. Craig Kimbrell and his $16 million onto the Dodgers. $15 million essentially coming back in the form of A.J. Pollock. He's owed $10 million this year. He has a player option. It's his choice for 2023. If he decides to leave, he gets an extra $5 mil. So it's $15 million for him. If he decides he wants to stay, he gets $10 million to stay next year. So likely this is a one-year deal for a guy who generally plays center field or left. In recent years, it's been more left field. Only five last year for the Dodgers in center at the age of 33, 92 starts in left. And overall, a plus two run save differential. And A.J. Pollock can hit. We're talking about a guy with a career 281 average and an 819 OPS who last year hit 297 over 117 games and 422 plate appearances with an 892 OPS and OPS plus of 137. You add a real bona fide outfielder into the mix. You move on from Craig Kimbrell. You save a million bucks. And you may need it because Garrett Crochet is headed to Tommy John surgery. Or maybe that extra money that was saved finally got arbitration settled for Lucas Giolito because that got taken care of as well. Rick Hahn is settling all family business. And I could not be happier that he went out and made this deal, even if it means I have to update the April 1st release of Socks in the Basement. One more starting pitcher? I think we're pretty much set. We'll get more into it on our next episode. We did do a full show. I'm going to play it for you. A couple of the things in it kind of don't apply anymore with A.J. Pollock around, but there's good discussion about Adam Engel, what Larry Garcia's role should be on this team, and the winner of our $1,000 guest bounty. The White Sox made a move today that said, we're trying to win the World Series. And it turns out White Sox fans knew they needed to make the move. Larusa and Han with the best April Fool's joke ever because it's real. This is Socks in the Basement. On to the show. And belly on up to the nine foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement. 
for fans, by fans, 30 minutes of sacks. And it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions, named one of the South Town's best in 2021 by the Daily South Town. They'll handle anything from bowing walls to window wells, foundation crack and repair, concrete raising, sump pumps, gutter cleaning, you name it, they do it. They want to take care of your foundation, keep water out of your home. They've been doing it since 2013, family and veteran owned and operated and available 24-7 at 708-330-4466. Mention socks in the basement, you get money off. Check out what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. Happy April Fool's, my friend. Yeah, thanks. Happy April Fool's to you as well. Yeah, I figured I'm just going to name the show something. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but whatever the title was, uh, I lied. Uh, April Fool's. Yeah, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm going to go with uh, uh, something like Rick Hodge on the show or Kenny Williams. Jerry Reinsdorf joins us. I'm right. not sure. It's got to be believable. Oh, there you go. It's got to be believable. That's the thing. There's no way Jerry comes on the show, right? Like, there's there's no right. way, right? But, I mean, we we pulled... We pulled a few different people this offseason, including Liam Hendricks and Jake Berger, and we got David Sampson on the show. So we've gone White Sox player, and we've gone former GM. So maybe Rick Hahn will be the April Fool's joke. But trust me, I don't know if Rick Hahn will ever come on this show. How about Scott Boris? We could have done Scott Boris, too. <laughs> we could do that. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to figure it out at some point tonight. Whatever the title was, April Fool's. Okay. April Fools. Speaking of the guests, though, that we had on in the offseason, real quick update for you. It looks like Liam Hendricks and Jake Berger will come in second and third to David Sampson for the $1,000 guest bounty. And if that is the case, we have a fan, even though both those guys played for themselves, the fan wins it. Now, voting will be closed by the time this episode comes out, but it, it goes till the end of the day today. But it is like he's got 61% of the vote at this point. Oh, yeah. It's 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 overwhelming. Yeah. Unless something crazy happens, this thing is over. And the winner, I'll give his Twitter handle because until I talk to him, I don't want to give out his name at top shot underscore Los. Going under the name Los Sacks will end up winning $1,000 from Elite Benefits of America, which is really cool. So we'll, we'll have the official announcement online uh, once uh, voting closes tonight. Uh, by the time this show comes out, the voting will be closed. We'll have all that information for you on Tuesday. But it looks like he's $1,000 richer, which is awesome. Yeah, and that's what the whole thing was all about, right? Was you as the, as the listeners, you as our fans, telling us who you know. And lo and behold, not a guy that was probably really on our radar, when we started this, because what, what were we thinking? We were thinking like, oh, you, you know, somebody's going to know like Bobby Thigpen or something like that because they, you know, they, they went to school with his kid or something along those lines. No, instead, we get a guy who goes, seeks out David Sampson because he knows that he's a fun guy to talk to. And David Sampson's like, yeah, let's do it. And then comes on. And that was one of the, you know, that was a great show with him. And, and some of the things that he was able to talk about and speak on, it was it, you know, well worth a thousand dollars anyway. Well, I think the the thing that I learned throughout the entire contest was that there's a lot of White Sox fans who think they're friends with a White Sox person. Like they really think they're close. Right. Like, oh, I used to date Mark Burley or I used to I, I used to hang out in a bar with uh, Bobby Thigpen or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Right. Like me and, and Rick Hahn, we play golf together. And then when I'm like, all right. Let's hook this up. No, they don't know him. 
They don't have, a, yeah. have an accurate phone number. It turns out it's it's not that Rick Hahn. It's it's Rick Hahn who's a he's a geology teacher. Right. They're you know? playing they're playing their April Fool's joke on us in November. So I mean, like you know, there were a lot of people who thought they were close friends with somebody in the White Sox organization who found out they were not close enough to them. Uh, I have to struggle today through the show because I lost my voice earlier in the week. It's a little it's a little weak. So I kind of want to hit some low-hanging fruit here. I don't want to yell. I can't yell. If you want to hear yelling, go back to the last show. I don't want to yell about roster construction or the fact that we're all going to be just— No, it's, it's not— I don't want to do it's it. It's not worth yelling about, right? I want to talk a little bit about hitting. I want to talk a little bit about the lineup. Um, there are six guys in this in this lineup that are your best six guys with a bat. It's very hard when you look at the overall offensive numbers to put anybody in front of Abreu, Mancada, Anderson, Grandal, Robert, Jimenez. I don't care what the order is. I don't care how they bat in the order. They're they're one through six in your lineup, and if one of them is in the lineup and not in those top six spots, you have a right to say, what the heck is Tony doing, I think. I, I'm more concerned about the guys that come after that. You know, Josh Harrison, actually, especially when you look at his splits, lefty OPS, righty OPS, you know, depending on the pitcher he's facing. For his career, he is an above-average hitter against left-handed pitching and an average hitter sitting right there in the in the middle of the rest of the league against right-handed pitching. So that's a nice addition. He is better than what Hernandez was last year for you, especially when he got to the White Sox, and better than what his career numbers are. Again, this is why we were clamoring for him at the midseason last year, uh, but we got Cesar Hernandez, okay? So he's he's going to play, and he's going to play every day. He's heads and tails above whatever Leary Garcia can bring to you. But the guys that I find really interesting, comparison-wise, is you have a guy like Tony La Russa, who loves Larry Garcia, loves him. He's going to be used way more than he should be. He really should be the fill-in guy at second and at short and at third and never see the outfield. But you know that Tony just wants to get him in the game all the time. For his career against left-handed pitching, he and Adam Engel are separated by 12 points. And against righties, they're also very close to each other. Both of them are under 700 OPS for their career. And when you look at last year, just the sample size from last year, Angle actually, in his limited time, outperformed Garcia. The year before, Angle, especially against righties, outperformed Garcia. But I only see Adam Angle at the plate a couple of games so far in spring training. I see Leora Garcia playing all the time. Why is that? If he's healthy like Scott Merkin told us he was healthy, why is that? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it, it, because my first thought is, is that he's not healthy and they're working him back in. But I'm hopeful that we're not seeing a lot of Adam Engel because he is ready to go and Tony has faith in him that he's ready to go and he's not just going to sit there and say that this is a guy that I'm going to bury on the bench and I expect Adam Engel to be in the Billy Hamilton role you know and and play that part on the team because I I hope that's not the case because you're burying a guy who really has value and if he hadn't gotten hurt the past couple of years and had been able to play more than 36 of the of the games in 2020 and more than 39 games last year, which obviously a huge chunk of last year was gone. I think that's a guy that everybody looks at and goes, he might have been established here. We might not be really talking about what's going on in right field because you just assume, okay, it's, it's, it's Adam Engel and it's fine. But instead, you're right. You see Larry Garcia in every game, sometimes even the split squad games. I feel like Larry's in both games somehow, even if they're on other sides of Arizona from each other. Right. Right. 
Adam Engel, I haven't seen him all year. He's got one of those machines that like Michael Keaton had in that really bad movie where he just makes a copy of himself. And look how far back and how obscure I got with that. What was that? Multiplicity. And and there's there's two Lear yes. Garcia's. That's what it feels like because he's always around and he's always playing. Look, I have a hard time even arguing with somebody over these points, but people still want to argue it who love him. Okay. People love him. Tony LaRusso would argue with me about this. If I have to look at Engel, Vaughn, Sheets, and Garcia, which one of those four is the best defensive outfielder? Anybody who doesn't say Adam Engel should be hit in the head with anything. Blunt object, uh, a pillow. I don't care. Some sort of strike must occur. Right. Okay. If I were Will Smith, they would be my Chris Rock. That That's how I feel if anybody said that Adam Engel isn't the best defender out of those four guys. So then when you look at their offensive numbers, all you can go off of is a small sample size with Vaughn and Sheets. Uh, You can go off of career numbers, though, with Engel and Garcia. And Engel and Garcia are extremely similar over their careers. And Adam Engel in the shortened season of 2020 and in his limited time in 2021 outperformed Larry Garcia against right-handers and basically stayed even with him last year against left-handed pitching. And so my argument would be, they're so similar to each other at the plate. I would rather have the guy that adds defensively. And then I would rather, I mean, like, look, you don't need to start him every game. Let's, let's, let's think about this logically, okay? If Garcia is the infield replacement, he's going to fill in once a week at second, at short, and at third. That's three times he's out there, okay, a week. You're probably playing most weeks six games because you get a day off a lot of times, right? So he's going to play three to four times a week out of seven. That's what he should be doing. He's not an everyday starter, and you keep him fresh. And we've gone over this before. When he isn't playing every day, he actually gets better results. When you put strain on him, you see his numbers drop. That's how I see him being used. Adam Angle can go out into right field and play a couple of games in right field, but he's also going to be the only guy who's capable of replacing Robert in center. So he's going to get a start a week, let's say, if you decide you want to rest Robert once a week. You know, guy gets tired, whatever. If you want to take Jimenez out, even if you want to put Vaughn out there, there's another spot for Angle somewhere in the lineup. So I've got two where he isn't even in right field because you have to rest the other two guys. And you can throw him out there for three more starts. You can get him five out of seven or five out of six a week, and he's regularly in the lineup and then still able to find, you know, four or five days for Gavin Sheets, four or five days for Andrew Vaughn. Everybody stays fresh. You got two young players out there in Vaughn and Sheets that don't need to play every day. You're keeping them fresh. You're giving Jimenez time every once in a while where you move them in the DH. If that's how it's being used, Adam Engel can add an awful lot of defense to your team and contribute, and he should be playing, in my opinion, you know, five days a week. Even if he's not in right field all five days, five days a week is where he should be out there. And for that, that's why I'm shocked that I don't see a lot of numbers. I mean, are they not counting the the games that are split squad, or are, are there games that they, that, I mean, I see Oscar Colas when I look it up, it looks like he barely played, but I thought he was playing down there. So is he, is he on a different field? I just don't get it. Well, there are also some minor league games and things like that where they'll, they'll some of the regulars will play in those. Um, and sometimes it's because it's just lower, you know, it's lower strain or uh, I know like Clayton Kershaw, for example, for the Dodgers was throwing at a bunch of minor league games. He hadn't made an appearance after the first week of, of spring training. He hadn't even appeared in, in the, you know, the Dodgers primary games. So it's possible that Engel's getting at bats over there because what they're doing is they are looking at Michael Rodolfo 
they are looking at. They were looking at Andrew Vaughn to see if his defense had actually improved. They're looking at Gavin Sheets. They're looking at Cespedes. They're looking at Colas. Uh, you know, some of these other guys that they just, you know, they know what Adam Engel is and they know what he's going to bring to the team. So, that, like I said, that that's really the hope, right, is that he's not getting buried, that he is actually a valued member. It's just that he's reached that veteran status of we don't have to put you out there because the fans aren't clamoring to see Adam Engel necessarily. I don't know that they're clamoring to see Larry Garcia, but as you said, there's seven of them running around the camp right now. So, um, <laughs> all Tony sees, all Tony sees is Garcias everywhere. Ed Corkin Carey at 33rd in Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark is your place for White Sox pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. It is the Southside tradition. It is the place to be. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not just making that up about where you should be before or after a White Sox game. Everybody knows it. That's why, let's just get into it real quick. You heard how Miller Lite is basically moving into the ballpark. There's a SoxOn35th.com was like the first one to kind of get it out there. Goose Island's leaving. Uh, uh, Revolution Brewing's leaving. Sounds like Miller Lite could be for nearly a decade. I've heard I've heard some people say eight years. It just depends. Nothing. I don't think anything's official wow. as of the time that we're talking, but they're going to be like the official group inside the ballpark. Well, they also had to decide where they wanted to be on opening day, and they're going to be at Cork and Carey. They're there. They brought uh, the flagship radio station over for pregame. They're doing their shows over there before, before everything starts. So we're going to be there after the game. So it's going to be ESPN 1000 before the game, Socks in the basement after the game. Go to the game. Have a great time. Opening day. Ed and I will be there. And then after the game, come back. More drinking, more partying, more fun, more food, stuff from Socks in the Basement. Before and after the game, it is the place to be if you're going on opening day or any other time. Award-winning burgers on the menu and an extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. Learn more about their location at 33rd and Princeton or at 10614 Southwestern Avenue at corkandcarry.com. Is Mike Rodolfo making the team? Do you think so? I mean, I'm really starting to think with these expanded rosters, he's making the team. Like, James Fox makes fun of me on Twitter every time I tweet anything about him. He it. does. He really does. And and it's it's funny because his last comment that I saw about it was, <laughs> you ever see a guy hit a golf ball with a pool noodle? <laughs> it, it, now, interestingly, if you Google that, what you will find is that golfers use pool noodles to help reduce their slice. So, okay. It's worth looking up, okay? It's actually maybe a useful tool. <laughs> However, actually hitting a golf ball with a pool noodle, no, I have not seen that because that's absurd. Nobody would do that and film it. But I, I think Adolfo, I mean, honestly, Adolfo seems to be making contact, right? He's hit some home runs. I don't know what else they're going to do with him. And if they're going to try and slide him through, like you said in the last show, if they're going to try and slide him through waivers now because he doesn't have the options, they run the risk of losing him for nothing. If they take him north and they play him a bit or he struggles out of the gate, uh, you know, there's a better chance that they can send him down when Vaughn comes back from the injured list. There's also the chance that, you know, this guy is just going to continue to hit or continue to contribute in some fashion. And with everybody clamoring, you know, everybody's been clamoring for Rick Hahn to make a trade. Um, 
I mean, I haven't heard anything about anybody wanting Rakan to make trades of you, but no, no, uh, not at all. No, no, not at all. Right. Real, no. real White Sox fans. They don't want anything to change. They're a hundred percent happy and uh, they're just going to follow and be happy. Okay. The entire season. Can I just no point complaining, out, though, no suggestions, none of it. No sooner does Tony LaRusso make that comment than Rick Hahn trades for Adam Hazley. Wasn't that the funniest thing? I mean, that happened like that happened like five minutes after he made that comment. We got guys in camp who can handle it. Phillies announced that they've traded outfielder Adam Hazley <laughs> to the White Sox. <laughs> we don't need any outfielders, uh, Tony. We just got another outfielder. Damn it! <laughs> I mean, in my in my mad stupidity on Sox on thirty fifth uh, yesterday, as as people are listening to this or, or third, this past Thursday, as you're listening to it. I actually suppose that maybe Tony wasn't going to let the guy into the camp because, right. Right. you know, real yeah. real fans are going to shun Adam Hazley for not having been there. <laughs> well, but no, I, I think back to Mike or what, what's the harm in bringing him north? All Adam Hazley is is a depth piece. That's the thing. I mean, like he's oh sure he's not Blake a Rutherford didn't work out. Here's another guy who's like Blake Rutherford that might work out. That that's all it is. Okay, um, Mike I think well he he's Blake Rutherford who can play center. That's right. all he is. He he exactly. can play center field. Uh, Mike are, you know, nine games, 15 at bats, uh, 467, killing the ball. He's got a 1459 OPS. It's such a small sample size. I'm just saying that with the expanded rosters and the way that Mercedes did what he did last year, when Yerman just went nuts for two months, okay, before he broke unwritten rules and according to some people, then he fell apart because of that, which is absurd. He was already falling apart, but but not not because he's got an obvious timing hitch in his swing and everybody right. could exploit that by knowing how to pitch to him. That I believe you identified within the first week of the season. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I want to say Ed saw it and then I looked at it and I'm like, you're right. Whenever a pitcher changes their tempo, he's lost. Once somebody figures that out, he's going back down to the minors. And in about two months, that's exactly what ended up happening. But But, you know... Miker could be that. I, you know, I'm not staking the season on it. I'd much rather be a team like no. the Padres who has a ridiculous amount of prospects and are supposedly trying to acquire Brian Reynolds. Like, if only we had a ridiculous number of prospects, but we don't. And you know what's funny about that? On one hand, it stinks that we don't have a ton of prospects down in the minors like the Padres do. On the other hand, I do find it amazing the amount of guys who a couple of years back were in that. MLB pipeline top 100 for the White Sox. And almost every single one of them made it to the majors. Almost every, every single one of them made it. Okay, I mean, Blake Rutherford is really the, the one of the big disappointments out of that group at one point when I think there were like seven or eight of them in there. A lot of those guys are, are here or they got here and they moved on. I think Dane Dunning was on that list towards the back end of it and he ends up turning in the Lance Lynn. So, I mean, the White Sox, I think, on their high-end guys, the majority of them were able to make the transition into the majors. They got from AAA into the majors and contributed on the team. That's that's a good thing. I hope you have enough to be able to acquire what you need to acquire in terms of another arm, which you're going to need either at the beginning of the season or midway through it. You're going to need another starting pitching arm, okay? And you might need a real right fielder unless, of course, you send Adam Angle out there and he finally is healthy and he does what I've been saying for two years that he can do is actually be your right fielder. I know it's crazy, folks, but, I mean, he'd be the eight hitter. He'd be a speedy, highly defensive eight hitter that could have an OPS that's above average on both sides of the plate. I mean, you know, I mean, that would be an incredible thing for this team to have right now. 
Okay, so that might happen as well. Right. And that's the other thing, too, is I think when when you start looking at the whole right field situation, it started to get so overblown because everybody remembers Jermaine Dye, right? And what a what a key cog he was for the 2005 White Sox, the World Series team. And he was the star player. And you forget that center field was Aaron Rowand. And then center field was was Brian Anderson after that. Right, but don't forget about Scott Pacenic. Like Scott Pacenic, like if you look at that outfield, if you take the outfield Scotty from Pods 05. Was, mm, right, great. If, if you take the outfield from 05, Pacenic and Aaron Rowan and uh and, and Jermaine Dye. And then you take Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and what we're expecting from those two guys this year, and then just anybody. Let's say Angle, anybody over there. Okay. Pacenic had the greatest year to year and a half of his entire career when he was on the White Sox in 05. Arguably, that was his height of his career. Die was the guy who was the professional, who you expected to be good. And, and right. Aaron Rowan ran in the walls, made bad base running decisions, came up with a hit every once in a while, and you loved him. Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez have the potential to make whatever the outfield is, whoever's in right field, Better than that threesome this year. And so, like, that's why I keep going back to just, can we just play defense and right? Can we just have somebody play defense and right? Can I not have to worry on a gap hit that it's going to fall in? Can I not watch Garcia misplay a ball out there like he did in game two of the postseason and instead have a competent outfielder that can go catch it? I understand the need to get at-bats for Sheets and for Vaughn, but... You can find those at-bats when guys are having off days and you have the DH position to be able to rotate them in as well. Sure, they're not going to play every day, but I could accept an Andrew Vaughn playing five out of seven days in the lineup and a Gavin Sheets playing four out of seven days in the lineup, and you could easily accomplish that with the days off that you will give Jimenez and Robert and, and being able to move Angle around and he gets a day off as well. You can find a way to do that as long as you don't. Ed, and this is the this is the key. This is how you'll know whether or not they're able to accomplish that. As long as you never, ever, 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 ever place Larry Garcia in that rotation in the outfield. Never once, never ever. If you just make him a utility infielder, you can get plenty of at bats for everybody and have a mainly defensive right fielder most days. The problem is that Tony La Russa loves utility players because he was a utility player and he's always loved utility players. Ever since 1983, he's always loved them. He, he falls in love with that one guy who's got all that heart and all that spirit and he loves him so much and he got, he's got him in the lineup like every day, like crack. He's a lurry addict. He's just a sucker for a guy with a lot of gloves, man. That's, that's really all it is. He's, he's a lover of gloves and the more you bring to the ballpark the more he likes you. He sees Larry Garcia sitting there before a game and he starts, he starts jonesing. His hands start shaking, right? Yeah. He starts looking at the lineup going, whoa, 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 that's like, I got to find a way to get him in there, right? He's looking hitterish. Like that's, that's how I picture how the brain works of Tony La Russa, okay? When he looks at, and you know what? Larry Garcia is a good player. I don't know if he's worth five and a half million dollars this year when you had a budget no, that you're clearly up maybe, against, but- you know? I mean, you might have been able to accomplish that with Romy Gonzalez. Like, you, might have, you might have been able to create a backup infield position, which is essentially all he should be if everybody's healthy. Now, if Angle's not healthy, all right, throw it out the window. You're probably going to see him out there. But if everybody's healthy 
all things considered on paper. Like he should never be out there. And I don't know why you paid five and a half million dollars for him when your budget seems to be strained. You got him now. He's a good player. He provided a magical moment in the postseason last year. I have no problem with him being on my team, and I think he will contribute to some wins this year, and he's a fun player, and the team loves him, and the manager loves him, and everything else like that. The problem is I think he gets loved just a little bit too much when the lineup card is getting filled out. I think everybody saw him get signed. Everybody saw that contract come through, and you went, okay, Larry's back. And then you really started to think about it. You're like, wait a minute here. (laughs) That's... That's not that's not money just for a bench guy. Oh no. And right, you start exactly. doing stuff like that where you're just like, oh no, no, no. What's funny about Larry defensively is that when you look at his defensive stats, his best position is the corner outfield positions. No! He's actually below average at short and second. He is terrible in center. But he's a, he's about average to just just a tick above average in the corner outfield spots, which means that he's just he's not good. Not, not, you won't call him a good outfielder. But what it means is that Larry Garcia is a DH in a much too small body to be a DH full time. No, no, he's not bad either because he's got a below average OPS against lefties and righties for his career and in general most years. Ah, so what that means is that he's a utility player who should only be filling in in the moments when your starting players are unavailable for whatever reason. Perhaps they need a little extra time off. Perhaps they're just getting a day's rest. And perhaps it's just something where you need to, you know, kind of fill in while somebody's on the injured list. But you don't play him every single day because he's not good enough either at the plate or in the field to justify being a starter. Oh, you're making too much sense. Knock it off. You're not a real White Sox fan. That'll be the next thing that'll... That's the next thing that gets you kicked off the list of real White Sox fans. If you... You don't think that uh, he should be playing every day. They're not White Sox fans. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to find a different podcast. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found, and always on socksinthebasement.com.